Good morning and welcome to Our American Heritage. I am Arch Hunter, the host of the program. Our American Heritage is a program where we explore in depth the American experience from its beginning to the present. And today we want to welcome as our special guest, Michaela Kopp. Michaela, welcome to the program. Thank you. Hi. I met Michaela several months ago when she was with Brigham Young students in the Philadelphia area, staying at the Freedoms Foundation. And I did a tour for the college group, and I asked any of them that were American history majors if they would like to be on the program. And Michaela uh, volunteered quickly. And so we're glad that she is with us. So, Michaela, share with our listeners a little bit of your background so they get to know who you are, and then we can get right into your fascinating topic that I knew very little about. For sure. So, as Art said, my name is Michaela. I claim Oregon is home because I just prefer it. I grew up a lot in Southern California, about three miles north of Mexico. I've lived in New Mexico as well, but I just prefer Oregon. I think it's way better. Um, I'm used to cattle ranches and horses and all that fun stuff. I absolutely love living in the middle of nowhere. I currently am in Utah. I attend Brigham Young University. I am a history teaching major. I completed my minor in political science, and the goal is to teach high school. I absolutely love teaching, and I love interacting in high schools with students. It's just, it's so fun. And with my attitude and staff, it's always a great time with any lesson. <laughs> So. Well, Michaela, I also taught high school and I loved the high school kids and, you know, bless those teachers that like middle school kids or elementary school. Um, but I love the high school kids also. Share a little bit with us about uh, your family, brothers, sisters, so, pets. Yes. So both my parents are older and I mean, like they actually fall into the older category. My dad is retired Navy. He was a command master chief, served for 24 years. My mom is from the Texas area and other areas in the South. She's kind of lived all over. She was an Army brat. I have two older brothers. They were both Marines. Mm. One is married now. The other one is engaged to a very, very nice lady in the Air Force. And they gave me the cutest little nephew. And I just saw him this weekend. And it was the <laughs> best time ever. I have a cat. And he is my pride and joy. <laughs> I am obsessed with him. And his name is Mattis. I named him after General James Mattis, and that's just because I'm obsessed with him, and I absolutely love him. I actually, this is a totally random fun fact, when the brother right above me, when he graduated boot camp, we got to sit in the fancy seating for higher up at, what is that called? I'm getting all the military acronyms stuck in my head right now. The one in San Diego's boot camp, the Marine Corps boot camp, but I cannot remember the name, which is kind of embarrassing, but that's fine. Um, we got to sit in this fancy seating and Mattis was on the front row and I think we were like three or four rows behind him and just the entire time I'm just staring at him like there's a godly man just in front of me that I'm in love with. So anyway, I have Kat named after him because I just okay. love him so much. <laughs> well, he certainly has uh, quite a reputation, uh, General Mattis. You know, we're familiar with him over the past several years, particularly at the beginning of the Trump administration. So that's a great name. I mean, it's a great name. So tell us about your topic today, because listeners, it's a very unique topic that I'm going to say, Michaela, very few Americans know anything about. It's fascinating study. So I'm glad you picked it. Yes. 
just to be clear, are we talking about the balloon bombs? Yeah, the balloon oh. bomb. Yes. Okay. To, to be clear, yes. <laughs> I have two of them pulled up right now. I'm like, wait, which one? Because I don't think they know about really either, but that's okay. <laughs> okay, so the Fugo balloon bombs, I actually took a World War II history and memory class this last semester at BYU, and we had to do this big research project. And my group decided to do it on the Fugo balloon bombs. And the reason I became so interested in it was actually, which I'll get more into it, but there was an incident where one of the balloon bombs exploded in Oregon and killed five people. And that was about 45 minutes from where I grew up in Oregon. So that's where I grew up going to the monument and learning about it. And so that's where my fascination of it came from. So So share with our listeners the background of the, you pronounce it the Fugu? Fugo. That's what I say. I mean, probably wrong. Fugo. Yeah, Fugu. I wasn't sure. Explain to our listeners the background of what that is, who invented it, and what was the purpose Mm -hmm. of it, please. So the Fugo balloon bombs, they are a incendiary weapon, which means that it's a weapon created to cause fires. And the Japanese created it to be used against the United States in World War II. So their main hope, their main kind of mission for it was they wanted to send these bomb-carrying balloons from Japan to set fire to force in America. And they were particularly aiming at the Pacific Northwest. And their hope was that the fires would create big chaos and kind of hurt American morale and just disrupt the U.S. war effort. It was created around 1927. The Imperial Japanese Army, their number nine research lab, they started talking about the bombs in 1927. And then their first bomb, they actually created it in 1933 as an experiment led by the Lieutenant General. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to butcher this name. Right. Kaichi Tada. <laughs> I'm glad you have to pronounce it, <laughs> not, not me. <laughs> it's okay. I will just accept it right now. I cannot pronounce names. So, but his idea for this weapon was just to use against the United States as a response of the Doolittle raid that took place in April of 1942, which was when the United States bombed mainland Japan in the retaliation of Pearl Harbor that happened. In December 7th. So essentially, Japan bombed the U.S., the U.S. bombed Japan, and then Japan wanted to bomb the U.S. again. So just kind of back and forth at that point. You know, the, the Doolittle raid, though it caused a fair amount of destruction on Tokyo, I mean, it didn't devastate Tokyo. It mm-hmm. seems, Michaela, that retaliating with balloon bombs against us is fairly minor compared to the Doolittle raid over Tokyo. What was in the Japanese minds thinking that this would cause tremendous havoc? So they, what I was getting from all of my research was they thought if they could get these balloons to go off in forests during certain times of the year, it would just cause giant forest fires. And as we know, in the past, even few years, I've even lived through several of them close to my home in Oregon, these massive forest fires that just happen from lightning strikes and they just get insanely large and so they were like well if we just set fire to all the forests then there we go have it created and pacific northwest catches on fire all the time so that's kind of like what they were looking for was just the fire so the japanese have invented or created this type of bomb 
So how is it going to get from wherever, whether it's, you know, in the Pacific Ocean somewhere or the Mm -hmm. island of Japan, how would they think that they would get all the way to the Pacific Northwest? That is, I think that's the very interesting part. That's the part that fascinated me the most. So this is a hydrogen balloon and it think of like a hot air balloon, but you know how the hot air balloon is open at the bottom? Mm -hmm. It's not open at all. It's literally just like a giant circle with a bunch of strings and then the bomb is at the bottom. So it kind of looks like a hot air balloon, but it's not. So these balloons were about 33 feet in diameter. They carried at the base, kind of like where the hot air balloon basket would be. There are two 11 pound incendiary devices and then a 33 pound anti-personnel bomb. So this weapon was described as a lighter than air gas, which is where the hydrogen came in that they used. And it would be carried by the winds or the sea to the desired target area. So the balloon itself was created from the bark of Kozo, Kozo trees, I think mm-hmm. it's right. And the bark was cut so fine that it was just like a lightweight paper. And they used the, oh, what is it? It's like the Pacific something current. And it, their idea was that this current would pick up the balloons and then just carry the balloons across the ocean to the United States. And were the Japanese the ones who discovered the air currents, the, the jets? You know, I'm thinking the same, the, jet, the Pacific jet stream, or mm-hmm. what, was that something that was already well known at, at that point? I'm honestly not too sure. I imagine it was probably well known, but I also don't know if it was well known because when these balloons started popping up in the United States, um, there was a big suspicion that these balloons were actually coming from the Japanese relocation camps okay. along the Pacific coast. Wow. And I'm wondering if the Japanese did know the thing, but the United States hadn't really caught on yet. Okay. And where were the majority or these balloons launched from? Caleb? So it was from this little island, right? It's, it was a part of Japan, but it was a little island. Uh, um, as you're looking that up, it's just fascinating. They, they would float all the way across the Pacific into the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Okay. It, they were launched from Honshu, which it's an island that is a part of Japan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how long did they expect for these balloons to take to get across the Pacific Ocean? So that is one thing that I still have not been able to figure out. I'm like, how did they think that this was going to be successful? So they started releasing balloons in November of 1944, and then they stopped releasing them in April of 1945. But over that span, they released about 9,000 balloons. Wow. And only about 300 have been found on U.S. soil. And then some have been in Canada, some have been in Mexico. But for the most part, the reason... So the big thing about World War II was there's a lot of censorship going on. And after the United States started finding these balloons, they didn't say anything because just in case, like, you don't know what this is. You don't really Mm -hmm. want to freak. And so because the United States hadn't been saying anything like, oh, we've been finding these balloons or, you know, the Bly incident, all these things, Japan believed that, well, they're not getting the balloons. So let's just stop. And so they stopped sending them out in April of 1945 because they had heard nothing about if they were even reaching the United States, what was going on. So obviously, since they released 9,000 balloons, like they're still balloons, whether they're in the ocean or other places, but 
about 300 have so far have been found out here at least. Wow. Do we have any of these balloons on display somewhere or that people can look at and, and do any research on? Yeah. So I know of, I think it's in Canada. I think it's Ottawa. I might be completely wrong, but I know it's in Canada. They have a fully intact balloon bomb in a museum and it, they found it. It didn't go off. They made sure, obviously, that it wasn't going to go off. And then they have it on display at one of these museums in Canada. And I'm yeah. almost positive it's Ottawa, but I'm not really sure. Uh, and the balloons that were, quote unquote, successful reaching the United States, what damage were they able to cause? So most of them, it's not even most of them, pretty much all of them, there was something wrong with them where they didn't go off. Whether it was fuses or batteries, there is actually, in some of my research, a lot of the balloons, they had unexploded blowout plugs because of their battery failure or the fuse failure. So they just wouldn't go off because there was just damage. Or because it was the time of year, November to April, the Pacific Northwest, it's very wet. It's There's snow, there's rain, there's all that stuff. And so because of the precipitation, it kind of messes with the bomb itself and it gets on to all the stuff and ruins it essentially. And even if they did go off in the Pacific Northwest, because of all the precipitation, it didn't do anything because the, the water is there to just kind of take out the fire anyway, just put it out itself. And do we have any records, Michaela, that any of the balloons were successful either in causing fires or killing human beings? Yes. So that takes me to the, I've always called it the Bly incident, but a lot of people just know it as Mitchell Monument. So in Bly, Oregon, right by the Gearheart Mountains, they now, at least in present day, they have this thing called Mitchell Monument. And this is about 45 minutes from my hometown in Oregon. It's out literally in the middle of the woods, middle of the forest. So in 1945, it was early May. Reverend Archie Mitchell and his wife, Elsie, they took five Sunday school children out for a picnic into in near this Gearheart Mountain area. And Archie was parked in the car. Elsie and the kids were going out to go and just set up the picnic. And while they were setting up the picnic, the kids find this balloon bomb. Mm. And they're... I don't fully know how it went off, but there've been some ideas of, oh, it looks like it's been kicked or, oh, it was this, you know, just long story short, the balloon went off. It killed Elsie, who was pregnant at the time, and it killed all five Sunday school children. And Archie came back from parking the car and all the kids were dead. Elsie was dead. And Archie, the only injury that he had was his hands were burned because he was trying to put out Elsie's dress that had caught fire from the mm. explosion. And so this was recorded as the only mainland United States death that took place during World War II as a result from enemy mm. attacks. Now, did the military or our government release that information to the American public, or did they also yeah. keep that silent just to keep the cover? So at first it was silent before this incident. They were like, let's just not say anything like, you know, but then people start, you know, dying because they're touching these things that they have no idea what they are. I mean, 
if it, I would probably like, honestly, I'm pretty sure if I was, I probably would be dead because I'd be like, Oh, what's this? And then, yeah. I, yeah. yeah. Cause I'm curious. I, yeah, definitely should not be doing some things cause I'm just curious, but it's fine. <laughs> um, but after this incident, the military decided to at least release the information to the public of the United States saying there are these balloon bombs. If you see them, they look like this. If you see them, don't mess with them, just report them. And so they decided, okay, we're going to let the people know. And then because they, you know, said, let us know, that's when they started people across the United States are like, oh, well, there's this one in Michigan or there's this one in Montana. I know that there was one that was landing in Utah. And this, this is such a neat story. It was a sheriff of, I can never say it right. And I know people yell at me all the time for it, but I always say Tremonton, but people are like, it's Tremonton. Either way, Northern Utah, there is a balloon bomb approaching the town. And the sheriff was like, what the heck is that? And like, then he realized, oh, this is a balloon bomb that we've been told not to mess with. And it was going to land. And they knew that when the bombs landed, that's when they would go off because it's just the bomb hitting the ground. And so they had the strings were loose on the on the bomb. So the sheriff, it came down close enough to where the sheriff was able to grab it and kind of like move it to keep it away from the town. And it ends up picking him up a little bit and taking him a little bit of a distance. <laughs> and eventually he landed, the bomb landed, and it didn't go off. And then he's able to fully report it. But he kind of just moved the bomb out of the way so it didn't go off <laughs> in the town of these people, which I still think is super cool. But Do we have any record of how far inland that any of these bombs were able to get to in mainland United yeah. States? The farthest that I have read about was Michigan. Wow. There might have been farther, but that is the farthest that I have come across. And because the Japanese were very, and it's a war, obviously, and they are very closed with a lot of their weaponry during World War II. Did the Japanese government, do you know, ever came out and, and finally admitted that they were using this type of weapon? Or was it the United States government that released that information? No, Japan did recognize it because September 19th, 1945, two Americans went and spoke to a Lieutenant Colonel Torado Kunitake. And as they were interviewing, the Lieutenant was saying how all the records of the Fugo program had been just completely destroyed like the month before. And they learned that the Japanese were, were planning to make 20,000 balloons but they couldn't go beyond 9,000 because they were running out of the trees to make mm -hmm. the cell. Um, and then after there were no reports of damage in the U.S., Japanese media had started making up fake stories about how their balloons were weakening American resolve and the morale and just kind of like boosting up what they were doing, even though they had no idea if it was actually working. But mm -hmm. they were just kind of Japanese people like, look what we're doing, even though they had no idea. But they, in that interview, they talked about how they actually had no plan for biological or chemical warfare with the balloons. It was just kind of like a, we'll just see what happens kind of thing. It's interesting that our government would try to pump up their attempt to use these balloons knowing that they weren't working. It's like a counterintelligence operation. <laughs> I thought that was 
really interesting. Yeah. What 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 is the history or how the longevity of these balloons after World War II was over? Um. So, I think the most recent balloon. I know it was like in the 2000s sometime. Wow, like it was really? After, yeah, there it was probably the early 2000s and it was discovered. And because, you know, they'd come out and they're like, oh, don't touch them. Obviously, like some some people obviously have no idea what it is. But then other people are like, oh, I should probably look this up and see what this is before I go touch it in the middle of the woods. And so I'm assuming that's probably what someone did. And they're like, oh, it's a balloon bomb and reported it. But I know there was one after like in the 2000s time frame yeah i I recall i think one was discovered in 2014 and another one was discovered all the way in 2019 that Uh, sounds up in up in uh british columbia Um, yes Yes. so did the united states uh with our Air Force or Army Air Corps in World War II when we started using radar more effectively. Was there any attempt to try to shoot these things down or was it just something that didn't fly high enough to get up into the radar, you know? Um, I think that's where the confusion between the United States and what this weapon was kind of happened. Because the United States didn't really know what these things were. They didn't know where they came from. And that's where they came up with the assumption of, oh, this these are from the relocation camps. So they didn't really know what they were. They didn't that's probably why there's been no record that I've seen of them trying to shoot them down, take them down, because they didn't know what they were initially. And so then they just start making their hypothesis of like, oh, this weapon is coming from here or here. But I have not seen anything of them trying to, like, take them down when they've seen them other than the sheriff in Utah. Okay. Well, Michaela, we're absolutely running up against the time. And, again, this is how many – so many Americans know nothing about this Fuku uh, balloon bomb that that the Japanese were trying to use, thankfully, unsuccessfully in World War II. So Mm -hmm. we want to thank you for – sharing that information with us, illuminating illuminating us with this information of what another Japanese tactic in World War II that fortunately was not successful for them, particularly up in the, in the Pacific Northwest. So, And I'm curious if you want to share with us, uh, what did you guys get for this project that you did? Um, I think I'm pretty sure we got an A on it. It was like we did a big poster. Mm-hmm. It's for this conference that BYU has every year, a poster conference. Mm-hmm. And I think all majors can do it. And we basically just had to do like a historiography, an annotated bid, um, a couple other things. And we just made the poster. Yeah. And so be sure. And then if we went and presented it and we were there all day, that obviously helped with the grades. But I'm pretty sure with all of our work and everything, we got an A. Oh, I hope you should have. You should have. And last couple last questions. What year are you in at BYU? I'm a senior, so I graduate in April. And have you done your student teaching? I will start my student teaching in January. 
Okay. Well, best of luck with that. You know, prayers for that. Um, you have picked a wonderful career, Michaela, and you've also picked a wonderful time period to be able to teach. So, listeners, we have a lot of young people like Michaela who love our country, who want to teach our country, have a, a great passion for it. And and you can see, you can listen to as we listen to Michaela what her passion is for understanding these things. So, Michaela, thank you for coming today and, and sharing this unknown story for, for by most Americans and helping to us to experience some more of World War II. All right. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Well, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. So this is 1180 AM WFYL. We are working for your liberty. From the words of Ronald Reagan, no arsenal or no weapon in the arsenals of the world is as formidable as the will and moral courage of free men and women.